Christmas is here. First Sunday in December. Um, Terry asked about Christmas decorations. I don't know if people raised their hands, but um, our decorations are up. And we had a little bit of help putting them up. My nephews tend to come over the day after Thanksgiving, and we make it this big event, and we put up Christmas lights. But one of the special things about that day was before they got there. And no offense, you'll understand when I get there. My nephews are like, what? Um, my kids are, are sitting in on the couch looking out the window. Are they here yet? Are they here yet? When, when, when are the cousins going to get here? When's, when's Joshua going to get here? And Deanna? And when's Jonathan? And Ashley? And when's Jeremiah? When are they going to get here? And they're just bouncing on the couch. Which is the one time that we're okay with that. And, and they're so excited. And then the car drives up. Like, they're here! They're here! And they're running through the house. And, and, and I'm thinking, wow, what a, what a reception. This is great. And then they come in the door and it's just the mauling and the, the, all, the, all the good stuff that families do. But what a great picture of expect, expectation. Of expecting someone to come and to be joyful when someone comes and, and to be looking forward to that. This morning, as we continue in Mark, we come to a story of expectation. A story where the, the crowds are looking for their King. They are looking for their Messiah. And Jesus finally reveals Himself that He is the King and that He is the Messiah. Still not in the way that they expected, and that that teaching will come. But today, as we look at Mark chapter 11, is the day that He shows up on the scene as the Messiah. And you see the expectation, and you see the joy, and you see the response. Now you might think, well, okay, that's, that's, that's great, but it's Christmas. That's Easter. We want to continue in Mark, and what a great day to study the triumphal entry when we're, not, when, we're, when we're bringing in the Christmas season. We're studying the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, into Passion Week, into the week of His death and resurrection, but we're celebrating His triumphal entry into the world, into our world, where He comes and comes incarnate, in the flesh to be with us and enters the scene and everything changes. And so today as we look at the triumphal entry, think about Christmas too. Think about the baby that comes and everything changes. Turn with me to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. If you remember last week, Jesus was leaving Jericho, coming 15 or so miles to Jerusalem. Not that long of a walk. Day's walk. In Mark chapter 11, we find him nearing Jerusalem, a couple of miles out. We'll start at verse 1, and I'd like to read through the text, and then we'll go back and grab some different thoughts out of it. Mark chapter 11, verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, And immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away 
and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. In these eleven verses, we see the coming of the king to Jerusalem. The king has arrived at his destination. In the last few chapters of Mark, we've seen the, the progression southward toward Jerusalem, toward the goal of the cross, toward the goal of bringing salvation for sins to a dark and needy world. In Mark chapter 11, the scene changes in the book of Mark. And from here on out, it's, it's the last week, the Passion Week of his life. And, and the scene is set with Jesus entering Jerusalem as the king, arriving at his destination. A couple of things to keep in mind. He's coming at the time of Passover. And Passover was a, a Passover season is a time where devout Jews would come and just converge on Jerusalem and there would be a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. The city would, would, they estimated more than triple in size. And so you had all of these people coming to the Passover, Passover, and Jesus is coming for that purpose and he's coming at that time and with all the pilgrims. And so the roads are, are crowded, Jerusalem's crowded, and that's the setting that he chooses to come onto the scene in Jerusalem. In verse 1, we see a little bit of geography. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his, two of his disciples. I'd like to throw up some pictures just so we can get an, an idea of where, those, where we're at. This is an overhead view. Hard to see. This is modern day. And if you look, this is the Dome of the Rock. So this is Jerusalem up here. This is a valley here. And we have Bethany and Bethphage here. And so Jesus is coming this way. And they go through Bethany. And then they come up here and see this green area? This is the Mount of Olives. About a mile out from Jerusalem. And and they're guessing that this was the location of Bethphage. We're not exactly sure. But then Jesus would come into here. And then come down the valley and into Jerusalem here from the east. Next picture gives us a, a... picture from Jerusalem, from the wall, looking at the Mount of Olives. And so this is where Jesus, this is the very hill where Jesus would have come over, over on this side probably, and then come down into Jerusalem. And that's significant. We'll look at that in a moment. But the fact that he's coming from the Mount of Olives is significant to their understanding that this was the Messiah. So just a couple of pictures that help us picture the terrain. Thank you, Andrew, for providing those. Um, and hopefully we'll get to see some of those in, in a, a couple of years. But we have this setting that Jesus is coming onto the scene. And this morning I'd like to focus on the fact that he is coming as a king. The fact that he is orchestrating events so that people would know that he's the Messiah, would have an opportunity to receive him as a Messiah. 
And what does that mean to us that He comes as a King? We, we focus so often that, that He's a man and He was 100% man, but He was also 100% God. And He was the King of the universe. And so as we come to the text, there are so many different clues that Jesus is finally unwrapping the package and saying, I am the King. I am the Messiah. And the crowds were getting that to a certain extent. See, a king is royalty. A king is to be exalted. So the first point when I think of the implications of his kingship is that we need to remember that it is the king who has come. We need to remember that it is the king who has come. This isn't just an ordinary man. This isn't just someone who God made the Messiah. This is God incarnate. He is the King. There were several clues that the people, the crowds, would have caught on to. And they've seen the healings and they've heard some of the teachings and they're wondering. But here at the, as they enter Jerusalem, Jesus reveals some things. And I give you four different things that He reveals. The first is that He came riding on a colt. Came riding on a colt. Now to you and I, that doesn't mean anything. If someone came to church riding on, on a, a colt of a donkey, we'd be like, you're weird. The, the, we have cars now. But to them, that meant a lot. And, and specifically to understand that, flip over to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Zechariah 9. And this was one of the, the prophecies that they were very familiar with that was something they were looking for for the Messiah. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Okay, so you get this prophecy. They're to rejoice. They're to shout aloud. The king is coming. And then the description. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so in their mind, they are waiting for their king, for their Messiah, to come riding on the colt of a donkey. They, that was the prophecy. They knew that was coming. And so when Jesus, in verses 2 through 4 there, orchestrates and says, this is how I'm going to come in. And in verse 2 it says, and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And I can picture people starting to say, a cult? Really? Could it be? Could this be the king? Could this be the Messiah? See, a, a cult for a king to ride it had to be one that was not ridden by anyone else. That was set aside for a sacred use. And, and a cult of a donkey for them could be set aside for a sacred use. It was cults, or it was the donkeys that pulled the Ark of the Covenant a sacred use, a royal use. In the Mishnah, we know that no one else was allowed to even ride the king's horse. And so that alone would have been something is different here. Can you think of any other time in the Gospels where Jesus rode a donkey? When he was in the womb, (laughs) that's it. That's it. He walked everywhere, or he, he took, if it was water, he took a boat. Sometimes walked, but, um, 
that's how he got around. And so for Jesus to, to suddenly say, you know what, go get a colt, go get a donkey, this was loud and clear to them, he is the king, he is the Messiah. And the excitement starts to build. Then they would have looked around, and we know from verse 1 that they were coming over the Mount of Olives through Bethphage and through Bethany, and they were coming to Jerusalem, to the eastern gate from the Mount of Olives. And again, to us, that might mean any, not, might not need, mean anything. <clears throat> oh, that's the road he chose. To the, the Jewish mindset, that would have been huge. Because in Zechariah 14, verse 3 and 4, then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. Ezekiel 43, Then he led me to the gate, the gate facing east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the east. And the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone his glory. So the Mount of Olives was a place that was tied to the revelation of God's glory. And so, so the first thing that would have impressed them is he's riding a colt. The second thing that would have, that they would have caught is we're coming from the top of the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem on the east side. And these are, are clues that, that they would have understood that are hard for us, but it, it would be like if, if we were in town and all of a sudden we saw secret service cars coming by. We're like, oh. Probably you would think something's happening. And then all of a sudden we see a motorcade and maybe a, a helicopter overhead and maybe some, some guys with some guns protecting and then a, a limousine coming by. What would you think? Would you think, oh, that's, um, that's just an ordinary person that just happens to be out for a drive? It's the president. And, and, and so we see those clues and we know that's how it was for them. And so the crowds that are traveling with Jesus, they're like, oh, could it be? This, this is the day that we've been waiting hundreds of years for. This is the day. Two other things that had just happened or, or that would have, would have increased their messianic hopes. The third one, Jesus had just been in Bethany and there He had raised Lazarus from the dead. In Jericho, He had just healed a blind man. One of the prophecies is the, the Messiah would heal Heal the blind. The blind would see. And the crowds undoubtedly knew about those events, especially the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And so that would have added to their excitement. That would have added to their understanding. Fourth, it was the Passover season. And that's the time when the Jews were expecting the the Messiah to appear. And we see that in their response in verse 10. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Those were terms that they used for the Messiah. The restoration of the king. And so they saw Jesus coming in as the king coming to his throne. The king coming to rule. And we see the response, a result of that. And as I look at, at the story and as I look at, at our lives and what we get out of that, one of the things that I am impressed on, that, that's impressed on me is that we need to remember that Jesus is the King. 
Jesus is the King. That baby that we celebrate at Christmas is the King and Creator of the universe. And so I would encourage us to cultivate a higher view of God. Cultivate the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. Cultivate an awe of God. It's so easy because we, we focus on the relational side, which is true. God's love and that He, he wants to be our friend. He, he calls us friends and no longer servants and, and that he, we are adopted sons and daughters. And those things are absolutely true, but we dare not let the pendulum stay there and forget that He is a holy, righteous God that created everything with His words. And doesn't that make His coming all the more incredible that God Himself would stoop to be a baby? See, if we forget the majesty of God, if we forget the awe of God, the kingship of God, then the incarnation means much, much less. Jesus revealed He is the King. May we not be casual about that. May we not take that lightly. When we hear the word, the name for Christ, Emmanuel, which literally is God with us, our response should be, Whoa! God is with us! God! Isaiah chapter 6. Let me just turn there. I love this passage. It's a familiar passage. But listen to the view of the king. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, and with two covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Do you hear the awe, the reverence, the fear of the Lord? And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of Him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King. Catch that? He describes why the awe, why the trembling. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. May we remember that it is the King who has come. The crowds following Jesus were getting a taste of His kingship. They still didn't know what kind of king. Their expectations were still one of a conquering king. And that was not in a physical sense, Christ's intention. But He was the conquering King in a spiritual sense. In the way that we needed it. To conquer the dominion of darkness. To conquer the dominion of sin. That is the King that was born on Christmas Day. That is the King that is bringing His kingdom. As they go down the the, the slope of the Mount of Olives on the donkey with the crowds behind. And there is no way that they could miss that this was the king. 
love a story of a little boy that was sick on Palm Sunday. Stayed home from church with his mom. and Dad and the rest of the family went to church. And then when they came home, they had some palm branches because their church had given out some palm branches on Palm Sunday to remember the king and remember honoring the king. And little boy is saying, Why do you have palm branches, Dad? I thought it was church. Dad's explaining, Well, we, we were celebrating that Jesus came, that Jesus had come, and we were honoring him. The little boy's like, oh, oh shucks. The, the one day I'm sick, Jesus shows up. <laughs> Do we know that Jesus shows up every day? Every time we meet and worship, we are in the presence of the King. That should leave us awestruck. And I pray that our first lesson from the story of the triumphal entry is to be in awe that He is the King. He is the Messiah. And He made sure people knew that. The second aspect of kingship that we want to look at this morning is the King is a humble King. The King is a humble King. A servant king. We've talked a lot about servanthood as, as Jesus for the, this whole trip has been trying to pound into his disciples. It's, it's not a conquering king in a physical sense. It's a servant king. I am a servant king. And back in the Zechariah 9 verse 9 passage, we, we saw that. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Israel. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. And then the next word, humble, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And we know from, from the prophecy that he was coming in as a humble king. Now, now, if you were a Roman general at the time and had just fought a huge battle, and you're coming in to the accolades and the praises, what do you come on? A horse, your war horse. Big, mighty, maybe with all the regalia and, and the banners and, and you just make a statement. And Jesus comes on a colt of a donkey? Because He came to show that He was here to serve. The rabbis, they couldn't get their head around that. And some of the early teachings that we have around this time is that they took some of the prophecies and they had decided, well... He's going to come on a colt of a donkey if Israel is not ready for him. And he's going to come on the war horse if Israel is ready for him. Because they they just could not picture a Messiah that wouldn't be on the horse. And Jesus comes in humility to bring salvation, to bring peace. We even know from the Luke account that as he comes over the Mount of Olives and starts down and looks out over Jerusalem, he starts to weep. He starts to weep because he says, I'm coming as a king and they miss it. They don't understand the type of kingdom and they're missing an opportunity for salvation. And that kind of care and that kind of weeping is that of a humble man, a servant, one that has come to save. Jesus came on a colt of a donkey, not a war horse, into the town. He came into Jerusalem with town folk welcoming Him instead of dignitaries. Just like when He was born, He came in a manger and not a palace. 
And we see this, this throughout his whole life, that of a servant, not a, a man that was demanding authority, even though he could because he is the king, but one that came to serve. And when we think of that, we think of the verse, no man is greater than his master. If Jesus Christ, the king that all was owed to, came on a colt of a donkey and humbly, how much more should we? How much more should we? And we spent some time two weeks ago talking about that in depth. But it's a reminder that He is the King, but He is the humble King. The next three, we get into the implications of that. We know that He has come as King. We know the type of King that He is as a humble King. And now, what does that mean? What are the implications of that? And the first one that we see in verses 2 through 4 is the king is sovereign. The king is sovereign. He can and is executing his plan. He can and is executing his plan. See, kingship meant authority. It meant rule. It meant sovereignty. And sovereignty means that no one tells him what to do. He can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, without anyone else's counsel. That is our king. That is God. And we see that in these verses. Look at the the instructions. And he said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Okay, right there, it's like, okay, how does he know that? Okay, he's going to get lucky on this one. On which no one has ever sat. Okay, that makes it a little harder. Untie it and bring it. Okay, I can see that happening. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt died at the door outside of the street, and they untied it. And we know from reading on that, that people did question them, and they said, the Lord has need of it, and they let them go. And everything happened exactly as Jesus said it would happen. Did you catch that? Everything happened exactly as Jesus said it would happen. He is sovereign, He is king, and He is orchestrating the events. Now the events later this week don't change that. The events that are going to happen just a few days later where He's being beaten and and mocked and hung on a tree and, and crucified... That does not change the fact that He is sovereign. What it means is that that is His plan and He is executing it. The soldiers didn't surprise Him in the the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knew they were coming and that was part of His plan. He wasn't surprised as He was being, being flogged. He knew it was coming. He's already predicted it to his disciples. And that was his plan. See, the implication of kingship is that there is authority and sovereignty. Some have tried to explain away the passage by saying, well, Jesus probably had an arrangement with the owner. Maybe the owner was with them and he sent them on ahead. The problem is, one of the other Gospels says, the owner came out and questioned and didn't know what was happening. It's amazing how Scripture helps us understand Scripture. This wasn't a prior arrangement. This wasn't luck. This is the king of the universe sovereignly executing his plan. He knew the timing. He knew the cult and planned that. 
He planned to show publicly his identity here. He planned for the crowds. He planned for the cross. And he planned for the resurrection. And he planned for you and he planned for I to be here in his kingdom as sons and daughters of the king. If we understand what's happening, we have to see God as king that is sovereign. But think about what difference that makes. Think about how that affects everyday life. Because if I understand that he's sovereign over the cult and over the events of his death, why do I get so worried and distressed when things don't go right? Because for things that don't go right for me, it's not nearly as bad as what didn't go right for him. And and when we get into situations where we are panicking and worrying and wondering, I don't know what God's going to do, because we've all been there, but when we let that overwhelm us, we are challenging the sovereignty of God. See, theology matters. And if we believe that God is sovereign, we can trust Him. Whatever situation that you are facing, God knows about it, He has always known about it, and He already has it into His plan to work all things together for good to those that love Him. What peace is there in that? What encouragement is there in that? As king, he is sovereign. Don't doubt him. Trust him. Hope in him. Gives us hope as we pursue the will of God. That's something that I often hear is, okay, how can I know God's will? And isn't that a scary thing sometimes? Well, what if I choose wrong? What if I, what if I mess up God's will? And, and, and I've, I've heard, because we, we think that, but if we come back to understanding what Jesus is doing here throughout the whole Passion Week, what He's done for all eternity, that He is sovereign, then we come back to, I am not going to mess up His will. His plan. And, and there's guidelines in Scripture as we come to the will of God to first say, is this scriptural? If it's, if it's, Prohibited in the Bible, it's not scriptural. Cut and dry. It's, it's, it's not His will. And we shouldn't do it. Then we come to wise counsel and seeking other people's advice. And okay, what is wise here? And if we're within that realm and we've, we've done due diligence on those things, then we come and we do what God has put on, on, on our hearts. Because then we can trust that God is able to redirect us. And so we can come with confidence to knowing God's will to say, am I following God's Word? Am I following wisdom? Then I'm going to do what God has put on my heart, trusting that He can direct. God is sovereign. We could spend a whole lot of time on that. We just don't have it this morning. But he is our king and he is sovereign. Fourth, to proclaim him as king is to let him reign in our own lives. To proclaim him as king is to let him reign in our own lives. Read it from verse 4. And they went away. Do you see the obedience? The two disciples, he tells them, go, you'll find this. And they went. And they went away. They found a colt tied at a door outside in the street. They untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? 
And they told him what Jesus has said, and they let them go. One of the, another implication of kingship is that a king has subjects, and those subjects are to obey the king. And if we say, God is our king, and Jesus is our king, praise God, and we sang songs about the kingship of God, then we are proclaiming, and, and we are saying, I will obey him. Because you can't say he is king and say you won't obey him. You can't separate the two. And we see that in the disciples. They obeyed. They're like, okay, I don't know if there's a cult that's going to be there, but you've said it, I'm going. And they obeyed. Verse 7, and they brought the cult to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on it, making a makeshift saddle. And he sat on it. What a great exercise of faith and obedience. Realizing that he has absolute authority. See, kings of the time had something called the right of impressment. I think I put that in your notes. The right of impressment. And a king had the right to impress into duty any of his subjects or or the property of his subjects. And so as king, Jesus would have had the right to take this colt. Now, he said he would give it back after he was done with it. But think about the right of impressment. If we are subjects of the king, that means he has a right to ask us to do anything. That's what it means to say he's king. And he's asked us to be servants. He's asked us to give like he gave. To share the gospel. To reach others for him. And he has impressed us into duty. His word and his way is always right. We do all kinds of things to get around obeying His Word sometimes. We can rationalize it. We can say, well, I'm just not going to be happy if I do that. Well, I'm just going to disobey this for a while so that way I can have a future that's free of some of the stuff I'm going through. And we, we do all these things and Jesus says, I am the King. Obey. There is no other way. With our kids... When we teach about obedience, we say, obey without delay, obey with a godly attitude. Obey without delay, obey with a godly attitude. What great advice for us, to our king. Finally, the response that we see in the remaining verses. Our response to the king is praise. Our response to the king is praise. And they brought the cult to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road. It was a way of making a path for a dignitary, for royalty. And others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! And in this spontaneous display, they were giving homage to a king. They were making a path to a king. Very similar to 2 Kings 9.13 as Jehu was being coronated and other triumphal entries. And a true encounter with the king, when we, when we get the first one right, when we are in awe of the king, our response will be praise. It will be worship. Because to think that God Himself is with us, is coming into Jerusalem, is coming in that manger... 
what else can we do but praise and worship? Here they're quoting one of their their Hallel Psalms, Psalms of Thanksgiving, Psalm 118, which says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And the word for Hosanna literally means save us. It had, it had become a term of, of general term of praise, like we would say hallelujah, but it meant save us. King, save us. And that is what they're saying. Save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Can you picture the scene? The colts coming down the mountain. People behind and before start singing together, chanting together the psalm. And, and it quite possibly was this echo, this, this statement echo, antiphonal idea where one side would, the people in the front would say one thing and then the people in the back would say the other. And in your notes, I think I put out the words in, in ABA and I, I want to try it this morning. Let's praise the king. And so you guys on this side, you're going to be A. Okay? And you'll say the, the part for A and then you'll respond with B and then you'll respond with A. And just picture Jesus walking down into Jerusalem and this is what was being shouted. So A, Hosanna. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord this side. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Okay, that was practice. They're outside. The King is coming. The King is here. Do you see Him? And he's coming down and they, they know that this is the Messiah and they proclaim, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna! Do you see Him? The King is here. The King is here. And in this crowd, they were praising the King. And they still didn't know what all that meant, just as we don't know fully what that means. But listen to these verses. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, He is the King of glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as King forever. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Let Israel be glad in its Maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their King. Let them praise His name with dancing, making melody to Him with tambourine and lyre. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Your King. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Him, Teachers, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Matthew chapter 2. Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest.
the king has come. And he is sovereign. We can trust him. He is king. He is authority. We're to obey him. And he is God. We're to praise him. May we do that this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, thank you for coming. Thank you that this morning we could be part of that crowd following the colt, yelling at the top of our lungs, Hosanna, save us. We proclaim that you are king. We proclaim your royalty. We proclaim your sovereignty. We proclaim that we want to obey you. We proclaim that we are in awe of you. Lord, as we come into the Christmas season, may we not forget that it's about the King and the King wanting to bring sons and daughters into the kingdom. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.